The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. And I have a special guest today, and it is a Mr. Larry Dubro, who is a uh, Dubrow, sorry, after all that prep and getting the name right, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even do that. Uh, welcome, Larry. Happy to have you on today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is terrific. My pleasure. So um, Larry is the senior editor of uh, Medical Marketing and Media, or MMM, which is a very important publication in our world. And uh, one of the things that, you know, it's always fascinating to, to get the background on guests, Larry, and why you have sort of a traditional one from a journalist perspective, you have had a broad breadth of experience. You worked in in written for uh, publications like Ad Age, Media Post, American Way, CBS Sports, and now you're writing for one of the preeminent magazines in, um, you know, the marketing and media space for the healthcare market. Uh, That's a relatively rare skill that you can write across all of those topics at such a high level. Talk a little bit about you know, how you got there and, you know, what led you to, to where you are today? Well, I'm not sure I do it at a high level, but thank you so much for saying so. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I guess there's always sort of been an inclination to focus on one specific thing, whether it was marketing or health or, you know, lifestyle writing or sports writing or whatever else. Uh, you know, I've always been sort of a curious guy. Um, you know, anytime there was an opportunity that presented itself, I found interesting, regardless of what else I was doing at the time. I decided to at least try it, and um, it's led me down some fairly cool paths along the way. Um, you know, what I do at MM&M is pretty similar to what I did at Ad Age and Media Post in terms of media commentary, uh, media analysis, um, marketing analysis, and the like. Um, for American Way, I did everything from straight out travel stories to stories where they stuck me in the middle of Times Square with a service that decided to pretend you're a celebrity. So you have like a little photographer following you around. So that was sort of interesting in its own way. Um, CBS Sports, I wrote a lot about baseball, but also occasionally football. I got to cover the NCAA tournament. So it's been a pretty cool uh, set of things to do. Well, it is cool. And, and you, you know, the good news is you have been written for all these great publications. One of the things that I also noted that I think you have under your current bio is that you uh, write for children's books, which yet is yet again a different skill. It's like, you know, writing about the marketing and media uh, space and healthcare and then children's books. You know, how did you get started on that and, uh, you know, any particular style or focus? I know it's interesting that that one sort of falls to a weird combination of luck and nepotism. <laughs> um, one day my wife came home from work and said, hey, I, I have no idea that you were putting yourselves out for one of the books that we're doing, to which I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, turns out that one of my editors at CBS Sports or you know, somebody, whoever, um, suggested me as one of the writers for um, a bunch of books they were doing with Derek Jeter, you know, the uh, couple of months where he decided he wanted to be a publisher. And you know, I said, well, I'd love to do something like this. <laughs> you know, I have no idea if I'm uh, able or if I have the skills, whatever else. You know, so I sat down and, um, you know, the interview was basically, you know, how would you do this thing? And my one you know, piece of advice was like, listen, it almost doesn't matter what the words say inside as long as Derek Jeter is on the cover and a copy of his Yankee home uniform. Um, as it turns out, they did not put Derek Jeter on the cover of the uniform, but the book came out pretty well. It was a Derek Jeter kind of trivia guide about all baseball teams for uh, children. So. Um, 
that led to one or two more. I've written a couple books about the Harlem Globetrotters and uh, possibly one or two more are in the, uh, in the hopper right now, but I have to uh, make sure they're on paper first before I can discuss them. Got it. Well, it's very cool. And uh, I, I appreciate that. I guess I have to ask one other sort of like sub follow-up question, which preempts some of our later, more personal questions. Uh, I think you went to BC for undergrad and Cornell for grad school, or maybe it was vice versa. Uh, and um, yeah, vice versa. Now. Cornell for um, undergraduate yeah. BC for law school. So assuming your allegiances are with uh, New York, not with Boston, given the short time you spent up in Boston. <laughs> you know, when, I, when I was up in Boston, yeah, you know, when I was up in Boston, it was still the, uh, you know, the Yankees or the big sibling and the Red Sox or the very little sibling that get kicked around. That obviously has since reversed itself a bit. And uh, I think it's actually more fun this way. Um, you know, when 2004 I happened, agree. I think it was, you know, one of those inevitabilities that was going to happen sooner or later might as well happen in the most entertaining way for the sport. But yeah, that, you know, I didn't answer my phone for a couple of days after that one. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I agree <laughs> with you uh, wholeheartedly that Bob Pearson, who's a diehard uh, Yankees fan, he and I will rip each other, but we've agreed that it is more fun when there's a rivalry again versus not. So um, Sox are having a historic, you know, uh, season and, Yankees are, you know, they're flagging a little bit now, but, you know, there's still like, 30 games over 500. You know, you can't really say it's a failure yeah. of a season when you're, you know, third best record in the game. No, they're, they're, they're doing, they're holding their own. So they just happen to be up against, uh, you know, a, a juggernaut in the Sox, but uh, it'll, it'll be fun come this October. But I, I do want to go back to, so M&M, um, your current employer, and again, someone that's very important in our landscape because we do a tremendous amount of work in the, the healthcare space. Um, it's one of the leading publications. You know, talk a little bit about the, the magazine. You have both an online and a print and what your role is there as senior editor. Well, um, I joined about four, a little over four years ago full time after having written for them as a freelancer for a little while. Um, the role has really evolved a lot over the last four years. You know, um, four years ago when I came in, I was the features editor of a fairly static magazine you know we had features you know we put them in the magazine you know a week or two after they were published in uh, print they came up digitally um now it's a much more interesting and much more wide-ranging role um, you know we do everything we do loads of events whether it's our healthcare transformers or events around uh, our awards and everything else um we do plenty of ebooks um we do podcasts um we do digital exclusives um happily we've sort of caught up you know everything gets published digitally <laughs> when it gets public, you know, before it gets published in print, which I think is the way you want to be doing it nowadays. Um, so yeah, mostly still coordinating the longer form uh, pieces, most of the features. Um, I generally coordinate the Agency 100 big issue in July. It's a pretty big role and it's a pretty fun role. Well, you do a great job of it and, and uh, we are very appreciative of your role there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the healthcare industry and then we'll talk more about the, the marketing piece of it. Uh, you get to see a lot of the transformation that's happening right now, you know, so probably as an analog to the publication evolving and changing and becoming much more multimedia, uh, the healthcare industry is being dramatically impacted by technology, by, you know, new breakthroughs, data, um, new forces like GDPR, new regulations. You know, where do you see that evolving over the next five years or so? Well, I mean, I think if the same question had been asked five years ago, pretty much everything we would have guessed would have been wrong. So I'd like to you know, throw that caveat out there uh, right <laughs> That's away. That's a good caveat, yeah. 
Uh, what one of the things I find you know, so fascinating is that at least on the on the far, the strict pharma side, you know, the science is at a point right now that's you know it's unbelievable. Some of the you know treatments that are in the pipeline, some of the things that are being bandied out a little bit farther down the road. I mean, it's astonishing. Um, you know, we're curing disease. I mean, you know, Hep C has been cured in the couple of years since I've been at MM and M. That's 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 mind blowing. You know, you say that ten years ago, people would have been like, eh, let's see what happens. Um, the worry, of course, is the financial and the economic piece of it. Um, you know, I think there's a sense right now that there's sort of one healthcare system for people who can afford it, another healthcare system for people that can't, and I think that's worsening. And I think that's something which as a society, not just as an industry, we got to reckon with before we can uh, take this thing too much further. Yeah, those those are great observations. And it was interesting. I read an article this morning, I think it was on um, uh, MSNBC or something that was talking about uh, Bill Gates and three transformational books that he read. And ironically, they put, they tied much more into his Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation versus uh, his Microsoft days. And two of them were specifically related to the curing of smallpox and what that meant, and then the fact that he's committed to curing malaria. So to the hep C piece, it is interesting that we're seeing these, you know, horrific diseases, cancer hopefully will be in that same bucket, um, that we yes. are coming up with these cures and having breakthroughs that we've never had before. So um, quite, quite amazing, quite astounding. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit to the, the thing that you do day to day and the piece that I play as well, and that's the face of marketing in healthcare. You know, how are you seeing that evolving obviously i mentioned gdpr uh, which is the data privacy rule that started in the uk i think it's going to bleed its way over here as well as other forces that are sort of making their way through well the data privacy piece obviously is a very large one um you know the impact of that has already been felt a little bit it's only going to intensify in the you know months and years ahead um i think we're the opportunity for marketers right now is to do what i think some have started to do though not as uh, extensively as, you know, maybe they'd like to. I think there's a chance for empathy to have, play a greater role in marketing programs. Um, yeah, I think healthcare kind of has sort of, alongside um, you know, some of the social media pieces, figured out how to do community. I think now it's less, you know, let's say, you know, you know there's that sort of a tired, you know, direct-to-consumer ad that you see where, you know, everybody's in the kitchen and, you know, Junior comes down wearing his, you know, headphones and this and that. So much of the marketing is still kind of one way yelling. Um, I think there's an opportunity for companies that can basically say, you know, we're on the same side here. You know, here is how we're going to help you, you know, kind of tout their services that are, you know, beyond the pill or whatever we're calling it nowadays, rather than just say, you know, here's this, here's the list of side effects and, you know, kind of, you know, wash your hands off and, you know, take off for the afternoon. That's a great observation. And I agree with that. And I think that plays into this whole phenomenon that digital and social has pushed forward. You know, and again, good analog, you talked about dimensionalizing what you guys do with podcasts. And I think that 360 um, inclusion to be able to really get to know people, to play more in the patient communities, to understand the influencers, uh, the KOLs, and, and really find out, you know, what are they doing and how are they talking about things? So uh, great advice for anyone listening in, and I'm going to be taking a few notes myself because obviously those are things <laughs> that you want to be doing. Some of the tech companies have done a pretty good job with, like, in this, that, you know, they've been able to communicate like human beings as opposed to communicating like marketers. Um, hopefully, health has learned from that. Um, I think it has. Um, some of the programs that we saw while we were judging our awards programs this year and everything else are so much better and so much smarter 
and just so much more human than what we saw even a couple of years ago. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah, actually, if you don't mind me digressing a little bit on that point, um, since you brought it up, uh, a lot of the tech companies, you know, in particular, the Walmarts, the uh, Amazons, Google, uh, and others are, you know, getting into the health space in a meaningful, hardcore way. You know, any, any take on that and like when we're going to see that? I think at some point in time, they will start to play a huge role, especially from a, you know, prescription distribution perspective. But um, I'm sure that's a discussion that's come up over there. Any light you'd like to shed on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a way, I mean, you know, we're going to see some of the you know, practical pieces of it soon. Um, you know, Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway, and JP Morgan Chase, I think they almost scared a lot of the rest of the yeah. world into kind of moving forward possibly a little bit faster than they would have otherwise. Um, you know, you've seen Walmart push aggressively. You've seen, you know, CVS Health was already super invested, but they've pushed aggressively. I mean, there are deals happening every, you know, it seems like there's a big deal announced every six weeks. Um, I think everybody wants this to happen. And, you know, maybe, you know, to put it less than elegantly, everyone just kind of needed the kick in the ass that the Amazon announcement provided. Um, again, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Yeah, no, that's that's good uh, good counsel, and I agree with you that Amazon Chase uh, Berkshire Hathaway one was a particularly big one, and I I do think that you know I know Verily, who's been a client of ours off and on, that was the life sciences arm of Google, and really focused on the data and what is the data that we can derive from all these different devices. That you know the more we can take and empower those things and harness them and, and you know translate them into some of what you talked about in the healthcare communication space and being more human. And also, I think, helping to better understand some of the disease states and understand how to eradicate some of these, you know, horrific diseases. So uh, interesting times, to say the least. Definitely. So um, this is where I shift into the last piece, and this is where I do like to talk a little bit more about you as a person, speaking of uh, being human. Um, this is where <laughs> That's the absolute least, ahead of time yeah, least essential thing I could say here, right? <laughs> Well, you know, the thing that I found, because I've actually had a few people ask me, you know, why is it you do this or why do you ask that question about music? And, you know, my, my answer to it is, is that people like you are the folks that make the industry tick, right, or make these different sort of um, influential platforms tick. And so I think understanding a little bit about you as a human being and sort of what, what you're passionate about, like what you read, uh, you know, what music you like is, is one of those things. So I guess with that, the first one I'm going to ask is, uh, and I always love to, to hear the answer to this, tell us something about yourself that people don't know. <laughs> you know, that I, I, when, you, when you mentioned you'd be asking something along those lines, and after I've heard you ask that a couple of, in a couple of the other podcasts, I thought about that one. You know, I don't, I don't think everybody needs to know that, you know, I'm a soccer father and all the other stuff that comes with having two young kids. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, maybe people have learned, uh, you know, I'm a lawyer, you know, I'm still, um, you know, eligible to practice law in New York. Um, sometimes when we get, you know, somebody getting a little bit, um, let's say feisty about a story or anything else that we publish, you know, we get a lecture about, well, here's how this is libelous and everything else. And, you know, you want to tell them, yeah, you know, well, we, we get uh, it, you know, here, here's what, here's why yeah. you're completely wrong. <laughs> so that yeah. would be one thing. I may know a thing or two about this. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're all in the, uh, you know, we're all in that business, I guess. Right? Well, that's a good one. And I did notice that, that you went to law school. And so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the second one, and this is always an interesting one for someone that is a writer. And I have interviewed a few folks that have written books. Um, but I do like to, similar to the Bill Gates one, you know, find out what makes people tick and allow people to help better build their libraries. So 
you know, any books that either you listen to, I know Audible is a good option now if you're mobile a lot, uh, or read over the last year or two that you'd like to share that made that an impact on you? Um, I, I have this kind of weird theory. Um, you know, I was an English major, so I've always been, you know, I've had a head in my, you know, had my head in a book pretty much nonstop since I was about 10 years old. Um, what I've been doing recently, just with, you know, work being busy and commutes and kids and everything else, is I try to read one book that might, you know, enlighten me a little bit, then the next book, kind of a piece of junk to kind of give my brain a bit of a break. So in that <laughs> vein, the most, the two most uh, recent books I've read, um, both, one of them is a novel, one of them is a uh, nonfiction book. Um, a novel called The Person of Interest by a writer named Susan Choi, which is a fascinating book about kind of reevaluating your own past um, as when the past kind of re uh, when the past kind of rears its own ugly head later in life. Um, you know, it's the kind of writing that, you know, I recognize it as nouns and verbs and adjectives. But, you know, you read it and you say to yourself, I don't know how somebody does this this articulately and beautifully and elegantly. So that would be one, um, Susan Choi, A Person of Interest. So uh, when I put that one down uh, a week and a half ago, the one I picked up was called Running with the Devil. It was written by Van Halen's first manager, Noel Monk. And uh, that was sort of the inside story about how Van Halen became Van Halen. Um, There's a definite axe to grind type book in that he was fired by the band right after 1984 hit it big. But at the same time, you know, for someone that's been, you know, everybody has the soundtrack to their lives. Van Halen was a very big part of mine absolutely fascinating finding out how these four kids came together and you know within two years were an absolute sensation well as a huge van halen fan growing up i am going to absolutely probably download that book to uh, audible and, and take a listen it sounds like fun and i always love to hear the, the behind the scenes um speaking of music good transition to our last question um this is the one that i always love to get people's answer to and that is you know if you imagine you're straight out on a deserted island uh, you can only take and listen to one album on repeat. Uh, which album would you pick and why? Well, first and foremost, uh, I love that you called it a deserted island rather than a desert island. I mean, desert islands don't really <laughs> exist, right? <laughs> That's one of, you know, one of the whole desert island disc things that the BBC has been doing for years and years. They, uh, I think they're just too lazy to change the title at this point. No, you know, I thought, uh, you know, I'm a big music guy. You know, um, it's actually sort of one of my fantasies at some point to kind of dial back on the writing and everything else and teach music. I've been playing guitar for a while, playing piano for a little while. So this question was one I probably invested as much thought in as anything that anyone will ever ask me. But um, my answer is Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. Um, I got that one early courtesy of a camp counselor when I was a little kid. and uh, I don't think I've stopped listening to it since. The idea that he's kind of updated it and done the box set and deluxe audio and you know disc upon disc of outtakes and everything. Um, you know, when he released I think it was called The Promise, The Darkness on the Edge of Town Story a couple of years ago. It basically melted my brain because here are all these things that I've been trying to dig up since I was 10 years old and presented in beautiful sound and all in one place and, you know, not requiring going to flea markets to buy the cassettes for, you know, 15 bucks off shady dealers. So, yeah, Bruce Springsteen, Darkness on the Edge of Town. It's uh, as much a statement of purpose as anything he's done. I like your thinking behind it, and clearly you did spend time on that, so thank you. It is interesting. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> I had a relative dearth of, of Bruce Springsteen um, as choices for a long time. And then I went through, like, I want to say at South by Southwest this year, I did a bunch of interviews. And I want to say there were two or three people that mentioned it. A lot of them were more born to run than they were uh, going sort of early days. So uh, good choice, though. He's a phenomenal musician. And 
Um, I've heard his Broadway show is fantastic. Uh, Jim Weiss, our CEO, and his wife went recently, and they said it was transformational. So uh, I hope that out and unbelievable. check that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, worth um, going. Larry, this has been a, a, a well duly noted. I'm going to put it on the bucket list uh, along with <laughs> Hamilton. But um, I really appreciate your time today. It's been great to get to know you. You and I have known each other now, I think, for a couple of years, but a lot over text and email. So. Great to speak more in the voice channel. Um, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What to Know podcast. And uh, I've had the, the pleasure of speaking with Larry Dubrow, making sure we get that right, who is the senior editor of marketing, uh, medical marketing and media, so MM&M, among many other uh, amazing things that he does. So thank you, Larry. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.